I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome back to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I invite a number of guests in the public eye onto the show and have an engaging conversation with them about their lives and their careers. But notably, I talk to them about times where they haven't felt so good and have had anxiety and mental health issues to try and inspire you, the listener, to believe in yourself, to talk about your own vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. Joining me on this episode of Series 8 is the wonderful Millie McIntosh. Millie shot to stardom in the hit TV show Made in Chelsea, but since leaving there, she has created a wonderful family with her husband Hugo, has some wonderful children. She runs her own podcast and has experienced anxiety in multiple levels and she speaks poignantly about this in this episode of the podcast so i really really hope that you find this episode inspiring before we continue i just want to add a quick note from our series sponsors rck partners who specialize in helping uk businesses claim r&d tax relief across the engineering agricultural and tech space If you'd like to find out more about this valuable source of funding for your business, head to rck.partners or simply follow the link in the podcast description below. That's rck.partners. Millie, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Um, Very good. It is 
actually boiling. Um, so <laughs> I'm hiding in my bedroom with a fan and all the blinds down. I'm wishing I was on a beach, but I'm very happy to be talking to you. I know. Oh, well, there we go. I'm not sure that they're comparable, but hey, here we are. We're coming to the end of the summer holidays. As you say, it's boiling, sweltering hot outside, but you have had a chance to go away as a family, I hope. Uh, yes, we've been away twice as a family, which has been heavenly. Do you enjoy that travelling with the children or is it actually something that you don't look forward to anymore? I I really love having that family time, but the actual travelling, like the actual getting to your destination and getting back is not so enjoyable. Can you remember the, the first time you did it? Um, the first time I did it, we well, yeah, we only had one child. That wasn't actually that stressful. She was only three months old and she slept most of the time. Travelling with two when they're both screaming and they're tired. Yeah, but tra- it was travelling back from holiday and I was like, is it worth it? But it was still <laughs> worth it. But it, you just, you kind of want to forget the journey as soon as it's over. When it comes to that now, do you, do you think you've got like a routine sorted in terms of you do this part or Hugo does this part or is it just kind of hands on deck and pray that they're not tired? Yeah, hands on deck. Definitely. I've learned traveling um, when they're tired. Like we did an evening flight back from Greece because I wanted to fly into our nearest airport. Stupid idea. Should have should have just should have just traveled during the day when they weren't as tired. And next summer, I will not make that mistake again. So, you know, as you, you learn, you learn as you go. But it is heavenly to have that time as a family, um, Hugo works um, during the week, Monday to Friday. So when we do have a family holiday, it's lovely to just have that time together. But also, it, I think it's really important to have time with your partner, like me and Hugo are going away, um, just the two of us in like two weeks time for a few nights. Is that the first time you've been away together without we, the kids? We went to a friend's wedding in um, in July. Um, so we did, we did our first five nights away without them. Five nights, my word. Yeah, it was hard, actually. I found it really difficult. But yeah, it, was, it was fun, but I really missed them. And I was a bit, I was worrying about them quite a lot and how they were doing with my parents and whether, you know, were they okay. I, was, I found it hard to switch off from thinking about, you know, are they following their routine and, you know, wanting to check in all the time, being basically just talking about them and showing everyone pictures of them constantly. <laughs> you were that <laughs> mum on the, on the Yeah, I was that mum. Oh my God, so embarrassing. <laughs> I love that though. I mean, I, I know that, Hugo's incredibly busy. You are so incredibly busy as well. Do you find it difficult to put that family time first? Like say when you're not on holiday, do you have, find it difficult to find that time in the week or sit down with Hugo and go, right, well, let's actually maybe have an evening where we can just have supper once the kids have gone to bed and relax. Is that difficult to find? We definitely really love having our evenings together and the girls are in pr- a pretty good routine and both luckily are pretty good sleepers unless, you know, they're ill or something. So Normally they're both in bed at six thirty, and we and we try to if we're both in, we have dinner together. We catch up. We watch you know our favourite show on the sofa, and we you know we we have that time together. And because the girls go to bed quite early, we actually get a bit of evening. And mo- a couple of nights a week we have that which we love, and then on the weekends if we're um, in London or whatever we're doing, that's normally our family time like all together. What's on the box at the moment then? Do you know what I have to say? We we were really addicted to Love Island. Were you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we're at that kind of point now where we're like, what do we? Uh, what do we do now? <laughs> I mean, we're like, we need to actually like use some some brain cells and like get back into uh, into a good show before. But before that, we were watching The Staircase 
um, which was really intense, really good, but quite hard watching. And um, we are excited about House of the Dragon, which is about to come out because we're big Game of Thrones fans. Oh, I see. I'm I'm one of those people that when it comes to TV and film, I'll just rewatch the same thing because it's just so comforting. Yeah. I've yeah, just started to rewatch that. like Fire Festival documentary. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, classic. Did you watch the Woodstock one? I haven't seen that. Is that on Netflix? Yeah, that's on. Yeah, it's uh, they, they tried to do like a remake of Woodstock and that if you like Fire Festivals, the Fire Festival uh, one. Brilliant. Is yeah, it's just something that's just comforting, I think, knowing what's coming up. Yeah, if that makes it is. Sense. It, it totally is. Or just watching something that when you've had a really long stressful day, sometimes you do just want to watch something. You don't really have to think, mm. you know, and just get stuck in a bit of a scroll hole while you're, you know, cause you're not really concentrating on what you're watching and you're both on the sofa or on your phone and watching the TV. Have you ever had uh, those evenings that, where to get back into a, you've had those evenings where you just sat on Netflix and you're, you spend about 20 minutes trying to find something. You just go, oh, we'll just get to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Typical. Before you had children then, what were your expectations of motherhood and being a parent? Did you, is that something that you talked about with Hugo as well on what you kind of expected? I think, I mean, to be honest, I've always imagined like being a mother. I've always wanted to be a mother. I've always been really maternal. I love children. Um, you know, didn't expect to give birth during a pandemic. Mm, <laughs> so, that, was a, that was a plot so, twist. That, so that was a plot twist. But actually... I think I was pretty lucky to have to be to have a baby during that time when you kind of want to be locked down anyway and in, in your kind of bubble at home. I actually feel really fortunate that I didn't have um, you know, children that were at school and I had to homeschool them because I seriously you know, all the parents did, that did that are absolute heroes, especially with like multiple kids and trying to work as well. Um I grew up with my my parents worked, um so I think, you know, I kind of imagined that it would be I would go back to work as well quite quickly and um, I didn't take that much time off with uh, when I had either of my girls so it's kind of been about finding that balance um, and you know Hugo works as well the first the first baby he actually had like nine months off with furlough so I felt really lucky to have to have that him around and we had all that time kind of getting used to being parents and being at home yeah, you get um, like that time to adapt and yeah. and be with be with the kid and just exactly learn a routine, I suppose. There's no better time than a pandemic. Exactly. There's a lot to figure out. Um, but you know, I I absolutely love being a mum. It is it is an adjustment, it's the biggest change I've ever been through in my life. Um, but I you know, I love them so much. So, <laughs> so, yeah. How much did you kind of base off or do you think you can see from your own childhood that you've brought to you yourself being a mother? I had, a, I feel really lucky. I had a really lovely childhood. Me and my, I've got a sister who's um, just a year younger than me. So we're really close in age, super close as kids. Um, and yeah, my, you know, we grew up in the countryside and had a pretty idyllic childhood. I feel very much like we're based in London at the moment, but we love kind of doing family trips together, to, you know, getting out of London, being in nature, um, having that that family time is really important for us, definitely. I know that um, London is there for you, but do you ever yeah. think that there's going to be that time where you go, here, here comes, I don't know, somewhere that's commutable? Definitely. I think it's something that I, I'm kind of more ready for than Hugo is. So it's definitely a decision we have to make as a family. I also work from home a lot. So that 
it could really I could really be anywhere as long as I could get into London maybe once or twice a week depending on what I had going on um but he's the one that would be doing the commuting and it would be really hard if he if it meant he didn't see the girls at all um if he had to leave before they woke up and got back before they went to bed I get that that's a really difficult like you know decision so we have to you know think on it and see but definitely not we're definitely not moving out anytime soon because I've got friends that have moved out and then been like oh it's too soon and they've really missed um London and their friends and they've moved back again I think having everything so close um on my doorstep is really comforting yeah I see I I live in the countryside and and during lockdown I even moved even further away I went down to Lyme Regis and during lockdown obviously it's fab because I quite, quite literally couldn't see anybody yeah and it's got to that point now you know at 26 I'm thinking do I just bite the bullet and stay here because surely they're going to move out at some point but then that's <laughs> still like sometime when I'm like oh, I, you know seeing them once a month doesn't quite butter the toast yeah that I mean it's definitely when you have kids for me it's like I'm not wanting to feel isolated and mm. not wanting to feel um too far away from things i I am very used to having everything at my fingertips here and just having friends around the corner um in saying that i think it really depends on like where you live if hopefully you've got a nice community of people you have neighbors um we'll see it we'll see in the future we were just in devon and it was i I wish i was still there to be honest right now oh my god tell me about it do you have any kind of current anxieties as a mother like what do you have any day-to-day anxieties as a mother or is that just caring I mean I I just have anxieties yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm an anxious person I have been my whole life yeah having kids make definitely makes you more anxious there's so much more to worry about and it the stakes are pretty high yeah definitely what sort of (laughs) when did your kind of when did you first become aware of your own mental health then or your anxiety? Was it when you were at school? I think probably when I was at school, uh, I, I'm trying to, I, I was trying to think the other day when I first was aware of like having a panic attack or of those, you know, it just wasn't like talked about, like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm 33. When I was at school, I just don't really feel like anxiety as a word was even used that often. I was quite badly bullied um, at two of the schools I went to and then I was told I was depressed um, by a kind of school psychologist and I definitely found my teenage years quite difficult and then I'd say I definitely remember having panic attacks when I was about 18. When so, you look back at school then if you're happy to talk about it yeah in terms of what sort of bullying was it that you experienced? Um, so I was at all girls school and it was kind of, it was, there was different types. I'd say a lot of kind of um, like name calling, teasing. Um, it wasn't, it was more verbal than it was physical. But girls, you know, girls can be quite bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it was, it was a very like bitchy environment. And I tried to kind of find it funny, tried to kind of almost like play along with it to kind of make it feel less uncomfortable yeah it's like on the surface you wanted to seem like it was all okay and just laugh and play along when actually internally it's quite damaging especially in the long term it definitely was I think it really affected um, my confidence and my feelings of like self-worth and at that time where you're kind of really just you know going from kind of girl to to teenager and your looks are changing and there's there's a lot of uncertainties and it's, it, I think it can be a really, really challenging time. 
I was yeah. I was definitely quite as a result I was quite a difficult teenager for my uh, poor parents to deal with. What, what did you do? In turn, did you isolate yourself when that sort of happened? Did you have anybody to talk to? Because obviously, as we say, you know, anxiety wasn't really talked about. And I look now at the school that I was at. They've got like a mental health department now. But when I was there, and again, I was bullied as well. And it was an all boys school. And you talk about yeah. toxic masculinity and yeah. how how horrible that can be. But now it's almost readily available and more talked about. Uh, yeah, that definitely wasn't. Um, a lot available. I, uh, my parents knew I was unhappy. They wanted me to see a therapist. So I saw a therapist at school, but I didn't take it very seriously. I, I kind of would just be like, oh, I just don't fancy being in this lesson and walk out and go and sit with the counsellor or say I was going to the counsellor and not actually go. Um, I, I didn't want to go to meal times because that was a place that I felt, I felt like meal, um, the kind of big cafeteria was somewhere that uh, there was quite a lot of the bullying would take place and I felt very self-conscious like walking in there so I would just go back to my boarding house and not and try and kind of avoid like big groups of, of the of the people like whenever I could and so yeah I would say it was quite isolating I spent quite a lot of room of time I remember just sitting in my room just like literally staring at the wall did you have any coping mechanisms yourself? Like, of course, isolating yourself is one, but it can be, as I, again, damaging in that long term. Not really. I'd say probably just drinking way too much whenever I could. Yeah, well, that's Not the great. thing. It's, it's, no, but that's a form of escapism, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's one of those things that you just do in, in, impulsively because you go, well, in the short term, it'll make you feel so much better. And yeah, then, so yeah. It's just like, uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't learn to have the best relationship with alcohol from a young age because it was that kind of escapism. So is that what you saw it as potentially? So you started leaning towards it because you go to parties and everyone is drinking and consuming alcohol. But then did you ever find yourself drinking on your own? No, it was always more in a social situation, but I didn't, and I guess I didn't really think about it. It was just, we were just, we all just drank a lot in those social situations. Like it was always drinking to, to get really drunk yeah. and then waking up with a horrid hangover and being like, Oh, what happened last night? Um, and well, like, yeah, lots of hangovers. Can't do that anymore. Well, certainly far oh, less. definitely can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, lasts for like a week. Before we continue this podcast episode, I just wanted to tell you about our series sponsors, RCK Partners. If you're looking to take advantage of R&D tax credits to boost your business's cash flow, RCK Partners can help you. Simply head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below. And so when you left school then, and you, then this spotlight started to happen, let's say. So let's talk about reality TV, yeah. which can, I imagine, completely blow up your internal feelings and anxieties because you've got not just people who you're at school with saying yeah. stuff, but you've got people you've never met before having an opinion. You've got press joining in and then there are cameras following you. What, what kind of did that do to your mental health? Oh. Can you hear me? Sorry, I just paused for a second. Can you That's hear right. me okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, all good. So for me, I would say kind of when I actually went on the show, I kind of had a bit of a feeling like, fuck you to all the bullies. I was okay. like, you know, wanting to do something different, wanting to... I, I mean, the show, when we first filmed it, like we didn't know it was how big it was going to be. We had no idea. 
but when it's you know did well and people like really watching it I, I did kind of get a bit of confidence from it because it was a bit like fuck you to all the bullies that you know were really horrid about my appearance and um said I would was worthless and would never do anything and you know kind of destroyed my confidence so kind of going on the show in a way kind of made me feel quite good did that sustain that feeling of kind of confidence in that regard when did kind of you become aware because you know there's so many I know that some of it is scripted but there's still raw emotions and then people are available to give their own commentary on it when did it you first become was, aware of it it was it was definitely like a feeling of anxiety that I remember in the pit of my stomach whenever this uh, the episodes aired which was on a Monday evening and would sit and we didn't even have Instagram in the first when the show first came out, it was all really? Twitter. Yeah. That's, oh, that's how, even old, worse. That's how long ago it was. Exactly. So Twitter, people are like ruthless. Mm. And I would say in my 20s, I'd found a confidence that I didn't have so much in my teenage years. But, in my, you know, I was in my early 20s. I was definitely still, you know, finding my feet. And the I was more confident than I was in my teens. But the some of the comments did really get to me. And people would, would be mean about anything, you know. You make no, you've got no facial expressions. You're, you know, you're fucking boring. You're got this, that, the other, you know, you've got like three chins and you've got really thin lips. Like people will be, will pick on anything and be like really mean about it. And, and stuff like does like get to you. Did you learn to block it out? Because obviously I you did. can just ignore it, but that is so difficult if it's there. And even if you don't mean to, you'll just accidentally see it. You know what I mean? I did. I did learn to block it out because I, you know, someone said to me, like, you could see, like, 100 good comments and one bad one. And that, if that one sticks with you, it's just a real shame because you're, you know, what about the 100 good ones? So I, I just started just to be, like, I to kind of look at it and just be, think about the person actually sitting there writing that tweet and the pain they're probably in in their life and that they feel the need to, to be on Twitter slating other people and actually just feel quite sorry for the, for the trolls. Yeah, it's just a projection of insecurities in, exactly. from them, yeah. I mean, we look at, let's talk about Love Island then, because you mentioned it as well. Yeah. Because since a lot of things that have happened with that show, the support that they have to give now in terms of the production, there's plenty of support yeah. before they have to be vetted for their own mental health. Then during the show, I'm pretty sure there are check-ins and then yeah. after as well. When you joined, was that be. ever, ever involved in terms of Made in Chelsea? So the show wasn't scripted as in like we weren't told what to, exactly what to say. Mm. There was no script. We were told what to discuss because obviously the episodes had to make sense. They had to have a storyline so the audience knew what was going on. So they were produced, but they weren't scripted. Mm. Um, I had a close relationship with the producers um, who even became friends of mine that I'm still in touch with. And through that, I did feel supported because they would know what was going on in my life. But, but there were difficult moments on camera that I was pushed to experience. Like they knew that I'd been cheated on and that it would have been, you know, obviously it would have been much better for me and my, you know, and my mental health to not find that out on camera in real time. But it made great TV. <laughs> yeah did you find is that is, do you look at it and almost think as well with it's slight exploitation in terms of that I mean I think I looked at it as an opportunity um, definitely and you know there were moments where I, I definitely left filming feeling quite upset 
I do remember that, you know, like, and demanded to be, I needed to leave set right that moment. And I wasn't staying around for another three hours because I was really upset about what had just happened and I needed to be alone. And, that, and I remember being really like, no, I am leaving now and I'm telling you I'm leaving. Because they would try and be like, no, you need to be here for, you need to be in the back of shop for another scene. And I would just be like, no, and, and, and be like, I've got to put like me first. I'm not doing that. There was one point where I had a family holiday booked and they sat with my with, with my parents and my sister and they said I couldn't go because it conflicted with filming schedules. And they said, if you go on that holiday, we're, you'll no longer be in the show. We're writing you out the show. And I was like, cool, write me out. I'm going. I really need to go for my mental health. I just, I just was going through a breakup. I was like, I just need a bit of space right now. So they wrote me out the show, but they called me back. They called me two weeks later and begged me to come back. So I <laughs> was like... I had to put my mental health first. Definitely. I think that's really important as well. And I think if that happened now as well, I think there would be far more acceptance of that decision. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was even having therapy. I definitely should have been. Mm. I did start to have, I'd say around the time after I left the show was when I started to look after my mental health more. I started to have a better understanding. So let's talk about that then. So you left the show and of course you started to start, you had amazing opportunities given to you. Your Instagram was growing and you were being, a, you were a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, but then you've still got this kind of personal side of that you need to maintain and look after. So what did yeah. you do to, to kind of maintain your well-being? I actually really started getting into exercise, which I hadn't before. I'd never really, I'd never been sporty. I'd never been, um, I'd never cared about it. I never, just, I just didn't think it was necessary in my, for my life to be, you know, to be particularly active and I'd never enjoyed it. And I started going to the gym uh, and I started uh, like thinking differently about what I was eating. Um, I just kind of got a personal trainer and they educated me a lot about nutrition and thinking about like what I was actually putting into my body. And I just, it took, it did definitely take a while. I found it hard to get into it. I hated it at first because I found it really difficult and then a few months in, it like clicked and I was like, actually, I'm really enjoying this now. And and it's been part of my life ever since. And it makes me feel so much better mentally. If you're happy to say, do you remember the last panic attack that you had? Um, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think when it was. Um, it was actually a couple of weeks ago. Do you, are you kind of aware of when it might come on? Because sometimes people have got these kind of coping mechanisms or, you know, you just take yourself away. You need to go have... Uh, put on a meditation app or do whatever. So do you have those feelings of when it's coming? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely becoming much more aware of what my triggers are. I'm actually doing weekly talk therapy at the moment. And there I have certain like triggers. Like, so, like uh, to be honest, since lockdown and having my kids, I have had much worse social anxiety than I've ever had before. Yeah, me too, for sure. And I had, I was on, I was at a wedding and it was very hot and, and the feeling of being really uncomfortable. And I thought I had a heat stroke at first. I felt like really dizzy and nauseous. And then I realized I was actually having a panic attack. And it, yeah, I didn't leave, but it, it definitely took me a while to come back from it. I just had to go and like take myself away and do some breathing. Um, and it took me quite a while to calm down. Um, also, if I'm, I'm not a great flyer, if I'm on a plane and there's bad turbulence, especially if it comes out of nowhere, I go from like zero to a hundred so quick and I'll, and I'll instantly have a panic attack in oh that situation. What, what, what do you do on a plane then? I mean, breathe. It's so like, difficult. You know, someone can talk to you. Like I, to be honest, I often just like do lose it. And like, you know, uh, air hostess or someone, if I'm not, 
I haven't traveled on my own for a long time, but mm. it's also different when you've got kids. Cause you're like, God, I've really got to keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard. I, um, yeah, sometimes I take, take medication. Yeah, definitely. And it's also really important as well. Now that you have the luxury of it to have that support and infrastructure from your partner and also them being aware of what you're going through but obviously as well as a parent a particular parent of two you can get tired and you can probably get snappy and what have you is there an understanding of that when you're a parent because obviously I don't know if I'm not being a parent but if you do snap at them let's say is it easy to kind of make up because you know it's in the moment yeah 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 I think the the best advice I'd give that is just to say sorry straight away even like just admit you're wrong just just say just you know you snap and then it's much worse to just to snap and then just leave it because it just like festers it's better just to be like okay I'm sorry 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 I didn't mean it and you just yeah you just Get it out. admit just admit that you've snapped just be like and you know you have to kind of almost like laugh at each other for snapping yeah I think especially when you're I imagine if you're just exhausted and you just go okay that just came out I'm really sorry yeah but when you're super tired, like some of the biggest, like fieriest, feisty fights we've had were like, you know, are in the middle of the night. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's such a good way as well, because I think in the morning you'd wake up almost refreshed and you just yeah. go, well, that was a bit silly, wasn't it? Yeah, but the way you can react to each other when you're tired in the dead of night is like, you just like add to each other, like, you didn't, you did that Yeah, it's like, it's to do with, you know, it's, it's a child related thing of one of them's up in the night and often it would be like me being like oh I'll just bring her into the bed and he's like don't you fucking dare <laughs> <laughs> it's like arguing about who should who should settle the child should we go in should we leave them like just that yeah oh gosh what can you do now what about that responsibility with social media then because you've got so many people that follow you people that yeah. look up to you and you regularly share stuff about you, yourself and your life is there that delicate balance of what you do want to reveal and kind of keep close as a family? Definitely. There is definitely a balance there. And I definitely, since having kids, I think about like how much I'm on my phone or how much I'm online. And I try to not be, I try to be, I want to be as present when I'm with my children as possible, not constantly on my phone scrolling or, you know, them seeing me like on my phone, like, it's not I don't want them to to be used too used to that because they're you know they're already from such a young young age they just want to grab it they just like you know the screen um and so different to when we were growing up when I was growing up I didn't even have a phone until I was about 14 maybe about 12 you know one of those old Nokia's but you played snake on yeah and you know, I did, my parents didn't need to like limit my screen time because you didn't, you know, you can do anything on it. You can even go, I don't think you can even go on the internet. You could literally just call and text and play snake. Yeah, literally. And I had like five pounds credit. So that was that. <laughs> That's 50 texts <laughs> and then you're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be very different now. Like when the girls are growing up, um, obviously I just love to say they'll never have, they won't be allowed to have a phone until they're you know, 21, but that's just not reality, is it? And Yeah. Do you think about social media already then? I know it's a long way away, but it's difficult to know what to do in terms of monitoring it up to a certain age, private accounts, yeah. etc. Have you thought about that? I mean, I feel like I definitely would want to be able to check their, check their account. Um, I, it's, it's tricky as they get older, you want your children to be able to have their own 
you know, you've got to want to respect, respect their privacy, but you also want to make sure that they're safe and they're not being, you know, there's no weirdos like messaging them or, you know, dropping into their DMs or there's not being like cyber bullied. Um, you know, that's a whole other level of bullying that, that could affect my children. That wasn't even really a thing when I was a teenager, which is, that is pretty terrifying. Yeah, totally. And in terms of any negativity that you get now, you're, you've got a, a good hold on that. Cause I, in fact, if anything, I imagine it's wholly positive for all the work that you do with your podcast and all the kind of help that you're doing for new mums and parents indeed, you know, it's really positive. Well, thank you. I, I like to try and be really open um, on my social media now and share about how I'm actually feeling and try, you know, even if it's, I'm going through something quite challenging um, I think it's better just to, be, to share and be open about it. And I found that actually really helpful, um, you know, connecting with the community of people out there. There are definitely still trolls. There's a whole other thing which I've I've learned about since having kids called the mum police. And, you know, they're specifically, specific like parenting trolls that want to not just criticise you, but criticise the way that you parent. And that drove me a bit nuts when I was a new mum. Because oh, well, really they think they know best or something. Totally. There's just a million different ways to do everything to do with parenting. And someone's always going to think that what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, you just got to brush it off and ultimately, as you say, just get on with it. Yeah, ultimately, like at the end of the day, they're your kids. So you're going to do it your way. Um, and you can't please everyone. I think like making peace with that has definitely helped as well. Now, when we look to the future as well, then. Do you think from your experiences and indeed Hugo's as well, that boarding school is an option and is the right option from what you know? I didn't have a positive boarding school experience. So definitely for me, it's something I'd be really hesitant to do. But I think just we're just going to have to see like where we are, where, you know, what's right for the girls. And I definitely wouldn't send them to boarding school unless they wanted to go. Yeah, um, and if they did, it would be very flexy and, you know, I would, it wouldn't be uh, like when I went and it was like, see you in three weeks time. <laughs> yeah, literally it was dropped off with the bags. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um, it was quite hardcore and I definitely would miss them too much to do that. But, you know. Well, you don't know that at 13. <laughs> they might Let's be see. getting really Let's under see. Your- <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I changed my mind. So what's the future hold then for the family and indeed yourself in terms of projects and exciting things coming up? Oh, yeah, we're just rounding up our summer at the moment. We've got a little trip, just me and Hugo, which is going to be lovely for a couple of days. Sienna will be back at nursery, um, which she's going to be very excited about with all her little friends. Um, I'm going to be recording uh, the next series of my podcast. Super exciting. Um, which we're just in the planning stages of now. That's going to kick off in September. Um, really excited. We've, you know, it's, uh, it's only going to be our second season. Um, I feel like we're just, the first one was almost like a kind of tester, just, you know, seeing how it went and it's done really well. So kind of keen to just get back into it, have some great guests on, some great experts. Um and yeah, I really, I'm really loving connecting with our audience and hearing kind of what what they've enjoyed and what they want to you know hear more of as well. Do you enjoy like podcasting in terms of obviously you get to meet new people and and, and learn new advice, hear from your uh, people who listen to it? Yeah. But what's it like for you because you're hosting it and you're kind of it's like fun. in charge? It's yeah, quite, it's cool. I hey? quite like like interviewing people. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually really nice being on the other side of it and actually 
just sitting back and, and hearing what someone else has got to say. Yeah, and definitely. It really, it's, like, it's really interesting. I've really enjoyed it. And we record it in my basement. Perfect. So, so you don't even have just, to leave the house. You don't have to leave the house. It's really cozy. Like, and I do it with like, my best friend, Charlie. And we just have a really lovely chat. It's, it's just actually really fun. And you hopefully get some money. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, lots of lovely advertisers. Um, please and tea, please. Um, we, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. To be honest, it didn't really feel too much like work. It was it No, was it doesn't. It's nice to just have those conversations. And, and in fact, that they're helping as well. Exactly. They're helping. And, you know, with Instagram and, and TikTok, there's only so much you can say. Mm. in these short videos it's much more visual it's not you know you get a few words in a caption but you can't really get what you want to say across so I think you can be so much more open and have these much more in-depth conversations on the podcast exactly it's like an unfiltered access almost yeah exactly completely unfiltered and it's really refreshing and I think it's great people are so open on podcasts now I mean I think even compared to a few years ago people just don't hold back and I really love that Something I want to ask you about is mm-hmm. your opinion on mental health with men and kind of that, you know, the thought that men can't talk about it. What does, it's obviously you don't have to say if you don't feel like it, but what is Hugo open with you in terms of how he is and you have he that is. dialogue? We do. We both talk about, we actually both like have, have therapy separately and we talk about it. And we're both just on that kind of journey to understanding our own mental health better and being the healthiest and happiest we can be. And I think since having our kids and being in the pandemic, it's both been it's been so important to both of us to be our best selves and just, you know, ultimately in search of being as, you know, as happy and as, as we can be, especially since having kids. It's it's you know, it's full on, it does change things. And we've but we've both um had therapy and we do talk about it a lot. Um, it hasn't always been like that. I'd say over the years, we've been much more open with each other about, um, about what we've been dealing with, with our mental health. And it's so important to have that support from a partner. So all I can say is I really recommend for anyone to, who might be feels like it's a hard thing to talk about. It can be difficult, but the more you talk about it, the more comfortable it becomes. Yeah, for sure. It's always difficult to have that first probably that conversation because it's often something that you don't want to hear exactly well making making yourself vulnerable so difficult yeah definitely um no hugo's very supportive he isn't a naturally anxious person so it's taken him a while to to kind of understand how my anxiety affects me Mm -hmm. ultimately like it affects us as a couple and as a family so it's really important for me that he's like totally on board and he now understands things to say and, and things not to say that's great, though. It's so nice that you've got that support. And obviously, you've known each other for so long that at yeah, least you've been through that journey. Yeah, literally. Yeah, a long, long time. So the final question I ask every guest on the show is, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong to me, I like a feeling of being in control. So I'd say calm, in control, confident. That's headstrong. Yourself. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. It's always interesting to hear what people say because sometimes there are negative connotations to the word headstrong. Okay. But then I think to being headstrong. Feeling strong to me, it's yeah, more than anything. Absolutely. Millie, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being so honest. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed that. 
And that's the end of this episode with Millie McIntosh. A massive, massive thank you to Millie for joining me on the podcast. And I hope that you'll go check out her podcast, which is doing tremendously well and is in a new series right now. If you have enjoyed the podcast and feel inspired, please do share it with your family and friends or even leave a rating and review and hit that subscribe button so every Monday morning a new episode will pop up in your library. I will see you next week for another episode of Headstrong. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.